When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. The thing with the polls is it's really hard to know where those swings are in a state election, particularly when the result comes down to a few hundred votes in half a dozen seats. Hello, lovely people of podcasts. Welcome to the show. You're with Catherine Murphy, uh, the host, and delightfully this week I'm with Sarah Martin, who is Chief Political Correspondent at The Guardian and my dear, dear friend. Hello, Sarah. Welcome Hello. to the show. It's so good to be here. Okay. So we're in the pod cave basically to talk about the South Australian election, which politics, tragics around the country will know already uh, happens this coming Saturday. I feel like I have to say, don't hang up. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> of course it's going to be interesting. Of course it is. And I suspect a lot of people will be watching for reasons we'll get into over the course of this conversation. But anyway, um, uh, listeners may not know Sarah is actually from South Australia. She's from Adelaide. Uh, fortunately for us, she has all of that knowledge. She went back uh, home uh, over this past week just to sort of uh, drop in and see what might be happening in the South Australian contest. And uh, what the federal implications of that might be, which we'll get to towards the end of this chat. But anyway, let's just not assume knowledge. Let's just assume that not everybody in the country is gripped by South Australian politics. Uh, and so let's sort of start with the basics, right? So take us through the central characters. There's obviously the Premier, the opposition leader. Um, tell us a little bit about their backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And for people outside South Australia, how are these two blokes, as they generally are, mm. um, placed at the beginning of this contest. Mm. Okay. Well, let's start with Stephen Marshall. Um, this is his third election as Liberal leader. Um, he won the last election after that sort of peculiar three-horse contest um, when Nick Xenophon was in the field um, against Jay Wetherill. Um, Stephen Marshall's background is he previously was in um, business, ran a, a furniture manufacturing company. He, he's lost the 2014 election sort of despite expectations and despite the Liberal Party at that election winning, I think, 53% of the 2PP vote, um, stuck around and won in 2018. It's been a bit of a schmozzle since. He's lost a few ministers. There's been um, uh, conservatives who've defected to the crossbench. Um, and of course, he's had the pandemic to sort of manage for most of his uh, four-year term. Uh, 
Peter Malinowskis is a 41-year-old former uh, Shoppies uh, state secretary. He's very well known in South Australian political circles because when he was um, a fresh young thing at the age of 30, he was one of the small delegation who went and tapped Mike Rann on the shoulder and said, mm-hmm. your time's up, fella. Oh, that was sort of seen as quite audacious mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. um, but certainly sort of speaks to his uh, standing among, uh, within SA Labor. He is a, a um, a very impressive figure. He's a good orator. They're running very much a presidential style campaign focused on Malinowskis because they don't want to remind people that Labor was actually in power for 16 years before mm. Marshall won the election. So they've um, it's kind of got shades of Kevin 07 in there. Um, but then at the same time, SA Labor, and we'll get to this obviously when we talk a bit about the campaign, SA Labor is running a really effective uh, political campaign on the issue of health. Okay. And um, just take you back to one thing you said about Marshall. So conservatives have gone to the crossbench. Is it is it a factional thing or why why has Marshall had this internal instability? Well, so initially there was um, some issues to do with the rorting of a um, country member expenses allowance. Um, and remember that the, the Nats in um, uh, don't sort of don't really exist much in South Australia, although I'm sure like the 12 Nats who do exist will call me up and say, hey, we exist. But um but you know there's, there's it's not a coalition. It's it's the Liberal Party and you've got country liberals in in the in the in the party room, so there were a few who um, were found to have misused that entitlement. Um, so that was the sort of first problem. There was a lot of there was some grumblings from the outset, really, because his deputy was also a moderate. Um, so I think from the outset there was concern among the conservatives that. Marshall wasn't sort of giving them the respect they deserve. And then, of course, there was this reasonably ambitious uh, social agenda that was pursued through private members' bills, but, but backed by Marshall on things like abortion reform, um, prostitution decriminalisation, euthanasia law reform. And that really got the goat of the Conservatives and sort of further, I guess, um, made them feel on the outer. Um, then, of course, there was a, a a conservative who was found to, and this is a court ruling, so I, I think the lawyers will be fine with this, that he was found to have been a drunken pest um, at a Christmas party. He was booted out of the, out of the Liberals. Um, uh, and then there was, perhaps in the most um, destabilising moment, there was another conservative, Dan Cregan, who did a deal with Labor, basically, to take the Speaker's chair. It was sort of a, a midnight coup, um, and he then decided to sit as an, in, as an independent. So Marshall sort of lost control of the Parliament as well. Um, and then you've got the situation now where you have four ex-Liberal MPs running as independents. So it sort of complicates the uh, pendulum somewhat for, for Marshall because, of course, in South Australia, we've there's been a um, you know there's been precedents where former Liberals have backed Labor governments. So Peter Lewis, um, a former Liberal in 2002, um, backed Mike Rand's government, and then you know like South Australia likes to keep things weird. That, you know, Rand then had a, a Nationals MP. Yes. There was one, Carleen. Yes, Carleen Maywald. Yes, Carleen who, who ended up being a Labor Water Minister. Yeah. Um, no one expects that if these Liberal MP ex-Liberal MPs end up holding the balance of power, there's, there's no one's taking it for granted that they would necessarily back in Marshall and, and I guess particularly because of the, um, you know, the internals and the... Um you know the, the feeling that Marshall hasn't helped them out. Yeah. Okay. And so, and that uh, the idea of independence take us to the, the presence of or or absence of micro parties 
in the contest, uh, I well remember the three-cornered thing chasing Nick Xenophon around uh, Wyala and other places in the last election campaign. So is it mainly a two-horse race or or what? what's the dynamic with? Well, I guess the thing is with, with these ex-independents um, and you've also got two uh, sort of Labor-friendly independents in, in two key seats. So you've kind of got these six seats where it's a three a three-way contest. One of them, uh, Jeff Brock, who was also was instrumental in forming Wetherill's minority government, his main base of Port Pirie has been redistributed. So he's now up against Dan Van Holtz Pelican, who's the deputy leader even though that's quite a safe seat for uh, for DVHP, as he's known, um, uh, whether or not Jeff Brock um, can win that seat back to um, back to uh, I guess the Labor side of the the tent because of that redistribution um, is also something that's um, in play, although probably unlikely. Um, and then you've got um, Francis Bedford, a former um, uh, independent or former Labor MP turned independent, and her her seat has also been redistributed. So she's running in a, in another um, key marginal seat, Newland, which um, sort of improves Labor's chances in that seat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how all of these cards fall on the night, and then how these dynamics impact who is ultimately. <laughs> in government. Um, let's uh, pivot to issues now. So what what are the major issues in the campaign? And you'll laugh at this question. Does anyone actually have a plan to fix them? <laughs> well, uh, that's, you know, the question that perhaps people don't ask. Um, okay, well, the main issue is definitely health. As much as the Liberals don't want it to be about health, that was very clear to um, um, Bowers and I as, as soon as we started doing Vox Pops and we're chatting to sort of disengage undecided voters and the issue they bring up is ramping at um, Adelaide hospitals and that has been the absolute 100% percent focus of Labor's campaign, a very, very good campaign um, supported by the SA Ambulances Union, who, I mean, I think until you're on the ground, you don't sort of realise how potent it is, but they've been um, chalking, which is drawing, on um, ambulances for like the past couple of years. There's been ambulances cruising around the city with, you know, anti-martial ads on them. So basically saying lives are at risk under a martial government. So the issue of health is front and centre. Now, Marshall has been campaigning on the economy. Um, He's saying we've done really well with our COVID management. Don't risk changing back to Labor as we embark on on the recovery. Sounds a familiar theme. Mm. Yeah, on Mm. the ground, health, 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 health. You know, the ramping issue is extremely complex. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, Malinowski's pledge is not necessarily to end ramping, even though the posters say Labor will fix the ramping crisis. The, the pledge is to um, return ambulance response times for priority cases to the levels they last were in 2017-18, and that will take them a full term to achieve. However, like these are things that are happening because of um, long-term structural issues in the health sector that are not just state government related, they're federal government related. You've got a, a situation where... Um, you know, primary health care has been cut, so there's no, not necessarily incentives for after-hours doctors, yeah. which is obviously a federal thing. Right. You've got um, preventative health um, having been cut. Uh, so, you know, th- the problem is 
mental health uh, patients in emergency departments. So these are really complex issues. Um, so is it, it's a matter of not enough ambulances or that those dynamics mm. that you're picking apart there, that it's complicated because of what's happening in mm. primary health and, you know, knock-on effects? Yeah, and look, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't deign to be an expert on the issue of, of ramping, I mean, I, I, and what is causing it. Um, it's certainly got worse. Um, you've got ambulances waiting outside hospitals because of bed block. If you've got ho- ambulances waiting outside of hospitals because of bed block, the ambulances can't be dispatched to yes, um, priority calls. So, look, yeah. it is it is clearly a big issue. Now, I don't think that the government is not trying to fix it. Mm. I mean, clearly they're trying to fix it, but I don't think it's an easy fix. Yeah. Um, but Malinowskis is promising more doctors, more um, ambulance officers, Look, whether or not it's going to be fixed, I look. You, I don't know. Yes. I have yeah, no well, idea. Well, and no, no, I'm no. not an expert. No, but but no, I sure. think these things are very complex yes. problems. But, which is really the, what I'm asking you, I guess, by that by that question. Can anyone just snap their fingers? It's it, it, one suspects that if someone could just snap their fingers and fix this, that it would have been fixed. Mm. And I mean, the other interesting dynamic to that is. Um, and Malinowskis was health minister when the state government embarked on this transforming health agenda yeah. under Jay Weatherill, which um, most people have described as an absolute disaster for the health system in South Australia, and it's sort of been steadily reversed. Mm-hmm. So the Liberal defensive stuff is, well, you know, why would you trust Labor to fix health? Because they closed the repad hospital, they, you know, they did all, they these, did all these things. Transforming mm-hmm. health was a disaster. Um, but... It sort of doesn't matter because you're talking about health. Health is Labor's natural advantage. So people, you know, it resonates that, yeah. that Labor's going to fix it. So, yeah. yeah, it's sort of surprising to me that it is so effective because of that history. But again, it just goes to those sort of central, you know, competencies of yeah, the which, parties. Which are endearing across mm. election cycles. Mm. Okay. So, um, from what I see of polling, uh, it suggests that uh, Saturday night's not going to be fabulous for Stephen Marshall. But does it feel like that on the ground, right? The polls, I think, are pretty sort of comprehensive, mm. right, that it's it's all done by the shouting. Mm. Is that how it felt on the ground? Um Look, I didn't get the sense there were baseball bats and the only time that there's been, you know, sort of that sort of landslide uh, type result in South Australia has been, you know, when the baseball bats have been out. Um, When I was speaking to a lot of people were sort of saying, oh, look, you know, I think Marshall's done an okay job, he's done a good job, or even though there there is a lot of uh, residual anger anger about the opening of the borders in November last year. Yeah. Um, but I think mostly people sort of thought that he'd done a, a good job or at least the COVID team had done a good job. Mm. But then there would sort of be this, but we wanna, yeah. I want to fix the hospital issue. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, it sort of seemed to be, it di- didn't feel like baseball bats. But, but people leaning, were. But yeah. there was a leaning. Yeah. Um, but the fact that everyone was talking about the ramping yeah. issue just made, made yeah. me think, oh, well, he's in, he's in strife. You know, I guess the thing with the polls is it's really hard to know where those swings are in um, a state election, particularly when the result comes down to a few hundred votes in yeah. half a dozen seats. Well, this is this is the problem. I mean, you know, it's the problem at the national level too is that we mm. look at the wrong data mm. in order to make an assessment of how a contest is going to work, Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's really hard to get the data you need, which mm. is that... 
you know, that, that really granular seat level mm. stuff, which is an enduring mystery why we can't do this properly mm. in this country, but we really can't. But anyway, mm. okay, so feels sort of like it might be a change, but don't bet the house on it. Now, just in terms of Saturday night, there's there's a quirk about South Australia, which yep. people outside of South Australia may not realise. Yep. That means we might not get a result on the night. Talk yep, us through right. that. So I think about... Um, 20% of people so far have either registered for a postal or have voted at pre-poll centres. South Australia doesn't allow any of that counting to happen before Saturday night, so we're not. It, it's unlikely we're going to know on the night. And, you know, I think that's super interesting, particularly in the context of those seats where you've got independents running. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, the major parties run a lot stronger um, postal campaign, yes. the independents won't be running those sorts of postal no, campaigns. Indeed. So you could see a result change quite dramatically mm. compared to what's reported on the night. And I think Anthony Green has said he doesn't think there's any chance that we'll have a result on the night. night. But like if it's a landslide, then you know you'll get a you'll get a feel. You'll get a projection mm. perhaps, but with some underpants on it. So mm. bear that in mind if you mm. if you think you you're gonna have a big night in on Saturday <laughs> night with your pizza and whatever else. Do something else. <laughs> possibly I mean possibly that's a good lesson for life anyway. But <laughs> Good to know. Okay, so in the event, you know, we've made it pretty clear that um, Sarah's not calling the election result in <laughs> advance. I think we've been pretty clear about that. But let's let's go with the sentiment in the polls mm. and speculate that Labor may win on Saturday mm. night. Now, if that's the case, that'll be the first time an incumbent government has lost office in Australia since the onset of the pandemic, mm. right? So what... If Labor wins, what does that mean for Scott Morrison, do you think? Or is it all a people differentiating? Look, I think I think it will have some meaning. I think uh, there's been a lot of um, talk about the benefit of incumbency. Um, people I spoke to on both sides said six months ago, there is absolutely no way that Labor would be in the position they're in now. There's no way Labor would have won an election in South Australia six months ago. Mm. Six weeks ago, when they, uh, you know, just after the borders had opened, they 100% would have, would yeah, have won. It's fascinating, isn't um, it? Mm. So, you know, and it's sort of that, like, and everyone keeps talking about the sort of, you know, is this Marshall's Churchill moment? Like, after the Great Depression, after World War II, Australians shifted leaders. You had a different leader to the one you had during the crisis. Yeah. You, you picked a different leader for recovery. Um it's sort of interesting because I, I still don't get the sense that like Palaszczuk, Dan Andrews, McGowan, they're still riding high despite them being at a similar point in the cycle to Marshall. So yeah. that sort of suggests that's more to do with Marshall's leadership than, um, you know, necessarily the incumbency, but then also, you know, Liberal versus Labor. Mm. Um, Morrison's obviously deeply unpopular. Um, he hasn't featured much in the campaign in South Australia. Mm. Um and, I mean, that's also interesting in terms of the, you know, Marshall's been reluctant to pick fights with the feds, which is sort of something that's so ingrained in South Australia's political psyche that it's sort of surprising that he hasn't taken that path. Mm. And it certainly doesn't seem to have done him any favours. Um, so it's interesting to see, like, Perrottet going down the path, Very perhaps more so. of, like, yeah. you know, the, the way that the Labor premiers have mm. um, because they've realised that, you know, you're not going to win any votes by being friends with Scott Morrison. Mm. And it's sort of, it's interesting that pandemic effect, it's sort of like, you know, it'll be, be fascinating sort of political history one mm. day when people look back at this period and they try and identify precisely when 
the pandemic became a negative for incumbents. It's sort mm. of because we, you and I do this every single day mm. in five-minute increments yeah. every single yeah. day. It's really difficult, isn't it, to mm. think when exactly when was that, when mm. it went from being an untrammeled plus to being a drag on the brand, although, as you say, there is a difference between mm. South Australia and some of the other states. Mm. Um, yeah, it is interesting. And I think for Labor, looking at... Um, what's happening in South Australia, I think there's some lessons there for for the Federal Party too because, yes, one, you've got point. this hugely mm. popular, charismatic leader um, who is providing the party with mem- the momentum they need to actually affect a change in government. Mm. Um, I think we all agree that we're not saying that from Albanese yet. Yes. Not that we won't, but just it's not there yet. It's not well, cutting through. Well, and it's it's sort of interesting, and we'll get to, we'll yeah. get to Boothby specifically yep. that you went to in a tick, but that... that Dynamic is really interesting when you think about a set of campaign strategies Mm. and, um, you know, your supposition, you know, that Labor's cutting through in the States because everyone's talking about ramping, Mm. right, whether Mm. or not they're expressing a strong view one way or another, who they're going to vote for, the the campaign has been defined Mm. around a traditional Labor Mm. issue. Exactly. Um, And Albanese's playing a much more defensive Mm. game federally. So and it sort of always struck me as weird that federal labor hasn't been going harder on health. Mm. Like you know, we look at 2016 and the Medi scare campaign. Yeah. Um and you know, when I was looking watching Marshall at the leaders debate talking about the space industries and tech jobs and innovation. I was like, oh, my God, this is just Malcolm Turnbull. Malcolm Turnbull. In 2016, mm. like, mm. his enthusiasm. And, like, it's a good story to tell. Like, there are, they ha- South Australia has attracted all these great, you know, space and tech companies to um, Adelaide, but it's not an issue that's going to swing a single vote mm. in a marginal seat mm. in the outer suburbs. And it just kind of was very reminiscent of watching sort of Malcolm Turnbull flail around while, People were worried about the government's non-existent plan to sell Medicare. Yeah, but like, yeah. Know, no, 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 exactly. Of, no, no, it's, it's interesting. Um, it sort of surprises me that we haven't heard more from Albanese about um, hospital funding and so on. Yeah, well, they've sort of ponied up to it, but mm. they haven't really sort of dug in and, you know, put the booster mm. jets on, you know, and actually delivered a proposal. I don't know, perhaps, I mean, we're both speculating here, mm. let's be honest, but um, perhaps it's the hemmed in issue Albanese's got that he doesn't want to take the big revenue raising yeah. measures uh, that Shorten took in 2019 mm. so he can't promise, you know, a gazillion friggin' dollars on hospital funding, mm. although I suspect we'll see something from them. Yeah. But perhaps it's that. I don't know. But it's also this really defensive, you know, yeah. kind of instinct Anthony Albanese has too. Yeah, and I guess it's sort of like, you know, overlearning the mistakes of last time and yes, wanting to always fighting to be, the last war. To be small target. But, I mean, like it's interesting in South Australia, like Malinowskis is talking about spending money on the health system and um, has had a far more um, expansive policy agenda in terms of like a $3 billion cost and the Liberals are like, oh, how are you going to pay for it? And he's like, yeah. I mean, I know they're releasing their costings on Thursday, but, but you know, like it's sort of, you know, I, I don't know whether the costing thing has the same yeah, resonance. potency as yeah. it used to. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I just think people are like, well, of course we're going to spend money on health. We're, I don't care where it comes from, just spend the money. No, exactly, and that's that's a pandemic shift mm. that will kind of play out in the federal context. Mm. Anyway, federal context, let's stick with yep. that thought and let's think about Boothby yes. because when you were there doing your usual, you know, 
ridiculous amount of work in a ridiculous short period of time, Sarah. Mm. Um, you had a bit of a poke around uh, the marginal federal seat yes. of Boothby, which yes. Labor would dearly love to steal to its own column in yes. the federal contest. Mm. What was the vibe? Well, first of all, Boothby is a very diverse seat. It's got really, really um, wealthy areas. It's got real battler suburbs. It's got coastal areas. It's got super green areas. It's really a mixed bag. I think there was a lot of uh, dislike for Scott Morrison, but overwhelmingly people were still undecided about how they're going to vote, which I found really interesting. It's like even those who couldn't stand Morrison um, hadn't heard of Albanese yet. They were like, they, it was just had not registered. We probably should just quickly sketch the, yeah. the scene of Boothby yes. in terms of a retiring Liberal member, yes. right? Yeah. A targeted seat for Labor. So uh, Boothby is one of those seats that Labor's always, it's just always been a little bit out of reach um, for, for Labor. It's got a very small margin. I think it's about 1.4%, although I didn't check before. No, no, it's, it's about, small. It's small, um, yeah. It's always just been a little bit out of reach. The Kevin 07 election, they had a slightly, a candidate who didn't perform particularly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2010, when you know Labor's high watermark in South Australia, they still couldn't quite get there. It's been in Liberal hands for 75 years. Yeah. You know, this time there's more confidence about Boothby than I've heard for a very long time. Um, interestingly, you've got the retiring incumbent um, uh, Nicole Flint. Now, I guess the 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 corollary to that is that last time Nicole Flint was the target of a very very um, sort of focused campaign by Get Up and the unions, um, like literally Aggressive. people dressed mm. up as dinosaurs at campaign booths. It was really, really potent campaign. One, someone was saying to me, like they had statewide radio ads just targeting Nicole Flint. Like that is almost unheard of. So you take that out of the equation. The the Libs have pre-selected a moderate uh, liberal who uh, is like a, a, a Rhodes Scholar, she's um, she worked on the Ebola pandemic in Africa. She's um, very well qualified. Um, whether or not she can bring back some of those sort of uh, small L liberal mm. voters who perhaps couldn't bring themselves to vote for Nicole Flint because of her conservative views. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, you've got the other interesting element there of uh, Joe Dyer mm. running in that seat as well. So. It's going to be a really interesting seat. Just explain Joe Dyer quickly. So Joe Dyer is she's the uh, director of the Adelaide Writers Festival. Um, she, of course, was involved in some of the uh, stuff around Christian Yeah, the controversy Porter, around Christian um, Porter. Was, yeah. was um, sort of featured on that Canberra Bubble Four Corners yeah. uh, story. Uh, so she's she's uh, an independent. She's an independent. Yeah. And is there any is there any indication at this point what she may do preference wise? No, there's not. But I, I think I think most people expect her to preference Labor. Mm. Um, and it's not necessarily a good thing for Labor who running in the seat because she is yes. going to pick votes off. Well, that's the point. Yeah, whether whether she de- whether she depresses Labor's mm. primary vote in the mm. seat is the thing to watch with yeah. the independent in that seat. Um, and any final thoughts really ahead of Saturday night? Um, oh, look, I just think with South Australian politics, you can never. Never say never. You can never say never. Mm. I mean, I just feel like you could, you know, any outcome is possible. Mm. Um, uh, just have to wait and see. But um, 
if the polls are right, which they never are. Exactly. But you sort of just have to wait and see. Exactly. Well, we all have to wait and see. Mm. And that was definitely the lesson of 2019, yeah. which we are, you know, following possibly to our own disadvantage at this yeah. point. Talk about generals fighting the last war. Yeah, maybe yeah. we're maybe we're refusing to see evidence in front of our eyes. But anyway, yeah. I think caution is definitely the way to go. Yep. The point is tune in and uh and you know, it'll be very interesting basically to see uh how what the result is and how the major parties in the federal arena respond to it, given that we are almost in sight of the federal election now, probably only just a few weeks away. And also pity the poor South Australian, or, or you know, <laughs> no, yes, what election a lucky fatigue. South Australian voter, uh, well, you know, two well, elections in three months. Well, before. that's kind of a phenomenon that we, yeah, that we should, that we should just sort of have flagged too, like election fatigue in South Australia. What does that mean? But anyway, we'll, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sarah, um, for your um, stonking insights as always and your hard work uh, pulling together a really interesting piece. If you've not read it, you'll be able to search the Guardian Australia website and track that down, which was just a campaign primer, basically, and on the ground piece of reporting, which was terrific, published earlier this week. So track that down. Uh, so thanks to Sarah for, for her time and work. Thank you to Miles Martignoni, who is the EP of this show. Thank you to you guys for listening. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>